Good morning. This morning we are beginning a new series called Practice, and this series is going to be on spiritual disciplines. And uh, I want I want to say this in advance. Like I walked in here, <laughs> and I can tell that you've been with Jesus. Like Jesus is here, and so I want to give due honor to the one who's teaching. So let us not forget that as we talk about these things, I really believe they're going to be revolutionary in the life of all of us, revolutionary in the life of any believer who would take them for what they truly are. Each week, we're going to look at a different discipline as we go along, and we'll examine that spiritual discipline for what's intended to be, and that is to deepen our walk with Jesus, like make it rich. And my hope, my hope is that for us as a church, we'll see this experience as we implement these things turn to richness that cultivates a relationship that the byproduct is the abundant life that Jesus promised us because we're exercising healthy habits that the Lord himself prescribed biblically. Some of these may seem familiar, some of these may seem new, and, and that's okay. I want you to know they're vital to any life of a believer and they're vital to our growth as disciples. In John 15, Jesus said it like this, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So before we read any further into that passage, I want to say this. These are not so that you earn a certain level of love or holiness with the Lord. Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. These are not to be implemented so that we can feel better about ourselves. He said this, they are to be implemented so that you remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. We can't produce supernatural fruit in our natural tendencies. And I want that picture right there to serve as the basis for our discussion from here to weeks on end on spiritual disciplines. I want that picture of the vine to serve as that role. In the early church, they called the spiritual disciplines rule of life. And I don't want the word rule to scare anyone off because if you're equating the word rule to a list of moral checks and balances, then you've missed what the spiritual fathers were saying were rule. They were likening it to a trellis. And that vine that we just talked about is, depends on the trellis. It's foundational for the growth of a vine upward and the expanse of the vine reaching the branches and fruit going forth from them. So it's necessary. Hello? It's necessary. It's not a rule of list or a list of checks and balances, but it's necessary for our growth. And I, I think that I believe and share a concern with most pastors and spiritual leaders today because unfortunately today, we are a people who are too busy to be emotionally healthy or spiritually awake. And thus, we need rest. We need Sabbath. Because we have, we have seemingly traded what God prescribed for us to become religiously numb and to show up at places like this for an occasional motivational talk. And I got to tell you, I'm trying to lead towards transformation, not inspiration. Hello? Like, 
We need to be cultivating transformation, not inspiration. I need more than a motivational talk. Do you? So, so Ronald Rahauser says it like this. He says, Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think of God or to pray, but listen, but to simply have an interior depth whatsoever. He says, we are distracting ourselves into a spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. So this morning as we begin this series on practice, we'll start with Sabbath. A truly lost art for many of us growing up in American evangelicalism. Because it was never taught as seemingly significant. Today what I'd like to do is turn our attention to the heart of Scripture on the matter and the intention behind God's prescription of Sabbath. It is not for legalism's sake. In fact, let me say this. If somehow this produces, like the practice of spiritual disciplines produces in you a feeling that you are somehow better or some spiritual arrogance, if it produces anything other than humility in each of us, then let me suggest that you're doing them wrong. We're doing them wrong if this makes us somehow feel better about ourselves. Mark Buchanan said in the Holy Wild, ironic that those most holy are those least likely to see themselves that way. The reality is, how many of you have ever noticed that the closer you get to Jesus, the further you feel? In our series, Presence, where we watch David return the ark of God, the presence of God to the people... He removed his royal robe, put on the linen ephod, danced amongst the priests, almost unrecognizable, didn't distinguish himself, and it says that he came in, his wife, Michael, despised him for it. And after blessing all of Israel, after blessing the the people, he goes to his house, and looking down the stair, the gaze of despising from his wife, he looks at her and says, I'll become even more undignified than this. And so... These are not intended. Spiritual disciplines have never been intended to free us to become more civil, but rather they're to free us from the worry of appearing foolish. While many great writers, contemporary theologians, have gone on to write about these things, like Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, John Ortberg, uh, Eugene Peterson, to name a few, I feel that I've found no one that has quite written on the subject in such a way that has inspired me as much, and that is Mark Buchanan. He's the author of The Rest of God, and today your first bit of homework is to go out and get this book. It's a book on Sabbath, and it is, it is a great read. It's one that we all need to be reading so that we can understand the heart behind what God was trying to say in Sabbath. He defines spiritual discipline this way from his book, Your God is Too Safe. He says, spiritual discipline is any activity that I do by direct effort that will help me to do what I cannot now do by direct effort. What he's saying is this, we're natural. And God has asked asked us to produce supernatural fruit and we cannot do it apart from the vine. We cannot do it from a deep, rich, and connected relationship with Jesus flowing in and out of our lives. Of legalism, he said this, which, by the way, anyone in the Western church ever experienced legalism? Just a question. The secret impetus behind legalism is competitiveness. The point is not just to win, it's to beat everyone else. How many of you have ever experienced this? Maybe you've done this or you've seen it done to someone else. Hey, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not that dude. 
These vantage points are opposed to the typical earning potential found in the mind of anyone employing these disciplines for legalism's sake. Buchanan says it like this, most of the things we need to be most fully alive never come in busyness. They grow in rest. And so we enter a conversation this morning on Sabbath. Jesus said of Sabbath in Mark 2 when he was questioned by the religiously arrogant, actually. Verse 23, on Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How they entered the house of God at the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and they ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priests. But he also gave it to his companions. Then he told them, the Sabbath was not made for man. I mean, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so, then the Son of Man is Lord even over of the Sabbath. You see, Sabbath was given for us. It was made for true rest. It was for our good pleasure, for our sustenance. The world offers false rest in places of darkness and addiction, and we must recognize our own addict proneness. You know, uh, I mentioned this last week. If you're not sure that you're uh, prone to addiction, then I want you to turn off every single one of your devices for 24 hours. If you want extra credit, turn it off for 72. And... And I want you to recognize that there's probably going to be an angst that will well up within you. When we looked at this last week, that we check our phones 150 times a day. Every 10 minutes, we have this intimate, deep-seated relationship with our, with our devices. And we feel like we need to check them all the time. So some of you, even as I said, that started to feel angst well up, just at me suggesting it. There's a a condition that we have coined here in the world, the industrialized world, not just America today, that mental health professionals have called hurry sickness. Psycho- uh, Dictionary today, sorry, dictionary.com says it is defined as this, a behavior pattern categorized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Psychology today calls this the malaise in which people feel chronically short of time. It is a condition that the mental health world has said you can, you can discover whether you yourself are struggling with this, this uh, condition if you can self-diagnose yourself in three ways. You ready? Want to try it? Number one, how many of you, when you go to check out at the uh, checkout line, you immediately survey all the lines to find the one with the least amount of people in it? Okay. Let's do it with hands raised so we can all just realize we're not alone. How many of you, when you're pulling up to a red light, you immediately survey which lane has the least amount of cars in it, and even if it means you change multiple lanes, you're going for that one? I do. Last one. When multitasking, you forget one of the tasks. I suggest... When multitasking... You actually forget one of the tasks. Listen, I suggest that I have hurry sickness, and I suggest that we all do. And I want to suggest something else. That you can say a lot of things about Jesus. There's a lot of things that we could attribute to him. But one of them is not hurry. One of them is not frantic. How many of you want to follow a stressed-out Savior? I mean, think about this. When do we read in the Gospels that Jesus runs to John and goes, Hey, 
look, Lazarus just died. Uh, Peter, Peter's going to deny me three times. Uh, Judas is going to hand me over to be killed. Do you got a cigarette? Like, like this is our lives. But this is not, this is not Jesus. And I got to suggest something even more profound and, and maybe a little hurtful. That because Jesus is not frantic and his church is, in this facet, we look nothing like Jesus. How can the world have hope when the church of Jesus looks nothing like their Savior? What you were saved from. See, I'm just old enough to remember a time in the late 80s, early 90s, where we had this thing called boredom. Where you would wait in line, and that's it, end of story. You just waited. You waited for your turn. You just got in line. You didn't have a phone to check. You didn't have a game to play. You didn't have social media to post to. You didn't have, you didn't have uh, something to help you pass the time like a YouTube video that you could watch. You were just there alone in your Eunice waiting for someone to call your number. Hello? And there were only two cures for boredom in those days. The belt and outside. And I don't know where it's gone to, but that doesn't exist today. Did we graduate or have we, in fact, been stolen from? Buchanan says, in a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. Without rest, we miss the rest of God, the rest that he invites us into more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both a time on the calendar and a disposition of the heart. It's a day that we enter, but just as much as we see, a way we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God. This is actual physical, mental, spiritual rest but also the rest of God, because in this time, the things of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. He goes on to say in his book, The Holy Wild, unless and until we rest in God, we will never risk for God. The church of Jesus, who is called to be ambassadors of the gospel to all ends of the earth, needs to listen and meditate on that thought right there. Until we rest with and in God, we will absolutely never take the boldness to risk for God. There are three points I want to make today, and they are that Sabbath was given to us as invitation. Sabbath was given to us as a mindset. And Sabbath was given to us as a day. Which brings me to Matthew 11, our passage for today. In verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard, because he was in prison, that what Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear... 
The dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. He said, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, listen to this, Among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But it, he is the least in the kingdom of heaven and is greater... In, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the laws prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah to come. Let anyone who has ears to listen, let him hear. John is at unrest, and he's full of angst. If you remember in Luke 1, we know that John was told, well, he wasn't really told. In Luke 1, his barren mother, Elizabeth, is greeted by Mary to celebrate that, that, that Elizabeth is pregnant, six months so. And it says that the baby was full of the Holy Spirit and leapt within her womb. So if John could know that Jesus was the Savior Inside the womb, just because Mary, pregnant Mary, with pregnant with Jesus, enters the room, why is he asking the question now? After in John 1, he's already said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who he himself baptized. Why would he question Jesus as Savior and one he experienced firsthand because it's his cousin? Why is he asking, Are you the one or should we look for another? It's because he's lonely. And quite honestly, John is on his deathbed. He is sentenced and he will die. And he's about to be beheaded for standing up for the truth. And Jesus' response, if you didn't hear it, Jesus responded really with two words in his monologue to the disciples who, of John the Baptist who ran to ask. And when he turns to the people of God, and he says, of John the Baptist, he says two words, well done. He gives an answer of rest. He turns to them and he says, our first point, Sabbath as invitation. He turns to them and says, John, I know that you're scared. I know that you stood up for the truth. I know that you've pointed to me as the one, well done. I know that in my statement that you are Elijah to come, that proves the prophecy that I am the Messiah and you were the one to part the way before me. Well done. You've done what you were called to do. You are at rest and at peace. Be restful in the fact that you've done exactly what you were to in the kingdom. No, I will not come and relieve your immediate pain. No, I'm not going to take you out of what is certainly your death. No, I'm not going to come and free you. Because the truth is, you've run your race. And I want you to take, I want you to take affirmation in my, my affirmation of you. 
I want you to take affirmation in my affirmation of how I'll speak to you the rest of the world. No one who has been born of woman to this point or after will be like you. You are the poster child for the kingdom. Now go on and be with the Father and be at rest for eternity. You've done your job. Go on and be at rest. A rest that my freedom right now from bondage in jail will never give you. Go on and be with the Father. I'll see you soon. Be at rest. Accept the invitation of my affirmation of you and go be with the Father. You see, we have a tendency to want immediate satisfaction from our pain. And because of our busy tendencies, we accept cheap imitations all the time in lieu of them. We're run to the dark instead of resting in the light. Let me say that again. We run to the dark before we'll turn to rest in the light. Places of addiction, self-destruction, addiction, booze, porn, binging on Netflix mindlessly. Anything quick and cheap that is life-sucking to take the edge off. Instead of turning to the one, practicing a discipline that we're invited into that is life-giving. Jesus said in Matthew 28, come to me. Let me just read it. If you got the, put it on the screen. Verses 28 and 29. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Let me just talk about that for a second. He's speaking to an audience that has been under the weight of the law. And the law said, if you're guilty of any portion of the law, you are guilty of the entire thing. That's heavy. That's oppressive. That is really a lot to carry. And he says, Come to me, let me relieve you of the law. He said, I'm not going to free you to become more civil. I'm going to free you to be foolish and dangerous for the kingdom. Listen, we don't kill law-abiding citizens. Jesus was not murdered for being civil and law-abiding. He was murdered for being a rebel. He came not to fulfill the law or abolish it, but rather to fulfill it. It was embodied in who he was. And so we have to recognize we cannot find true rest without accepting his invitation. We cannot produce spiritual fruit on our own. Thus, we cannot create in this natural world true rest for our souls like he can. Come to me and you will find rest. Let me read on to verse 29. It says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. A yoke was custom fit. And Genesis 1.27 says that we were created in the image of God. That he knows exactly why he fit us just like he did with John. We have a role to play in the kingdom that is just ours. Anything else, any other yoke just chafes. The only one that will ever fit you or me accurately is the one that he has created for us because we were graven in his image. It's been custom fit for you and I. And we play a role within the kingdom that is both individual and corporate. But if we are all running around trying to wear the wrong yoke, we're only chafing. We're stealing away moments immediately to be evacuated or to run from the hurt in the darkness and we're not finding true rest because we're not resting in the yoke that he has for us the burden being light he's not rest we're not finding rest in the light so that we can go back out into the world think about what he said of john 
John was the poster child for, for the world, for the kingdom. Like, I want the world to see what this looks like. What did John the Baptist look like? He was homeless and hairy, ate bugs, and he, was, he spoke weird things. Everything he said was counter to culture around him. He's not someone that you and I would befriend. He was dirty. We don't know that we would let him in here. And Jesus says, he is the example for the kingdom. So when you have this picture of a city on a hill, and in my mind, it's always been this city that we aspire to, that all of us are like, it's perfect, and it's beaming light to all the world, and all of us in the valley are just trying to ascend to it. When you hear the words of Jesus, Jesus says it's completely different. It's not like that whatsoever. I want you to be invited into the relief of all that is oppressing you and heavy for you. You'll be most relieved when you embrace your imperfections and hand those to me. The city on the hill is like a torn t-shirt with holes in all of its fractures fully exposed. You turn out all the lights in the middle of the darkness. You shine a, a flashlight through it. And through all of its imperfections, peers light. Strengthened from within. Hello? Where Jesus recognizes and, dis- and puts himself on display through the least qualified on the planet. This is a city on a hill. Sabbath is not collapse. We don't rest well. It's not collapse where we run to our vacation and we collapse to the point because we've been burning it at both ends so furiously that literally hours before we're to pack it up and head home, we go, oh, I'm finally at rest. How many of you need a vacation from your vacations? Rabinsky says it like this, that the thing that will kill Sabbath keeping is leisure. He calls it waiting for the weekend, where we see a work as only extended interlude between our true lives. Leisure is what Sabbath becomes when we no longer know how to sanctify time. Leisure is Sabbath bereft of the sacred. It's a vacation, literally a vacating, an evacuation. Rabinsky is trying to say leisure has become despotic in our age, enslaving us and exhausting us, demanding more from us than it can give. So maybe you can relate to this. Burn it as hard as you can through the year to get your week of vacation collapse for four days so you can finally unwind, and then right about the time vacation's over, pack it up and head back. We're undisciplined. And when we burn it at both ends like that, we create a pace for ourselves that's violent. Let me suggest something. If Sabbath is the place where we are to be rejuvenated in our soul, a place where we're to be reset, and Jesus is inviting us into this, a place where we are reset then hurry and busyness is what violates your soul. It's waging war on you and me. And I I am not a slow person. I'm going to tell you, I'm fast-paced. I am far too frantic. In In this end, I look little like Jesus, but yet I'm called to reflect him to the world. So I'm no master. This is a discipline that I am embracing, but without it, without it, the back half of my life before I go meet him, I'm really scared. I'm really scared to hear what Jesus would say. I don't know. Without implementing this discipline, a trellis by which the vine can grow, I don't know that I'll hear well done. 
The opposite, listen, uh, Mark Buchanan says, in some ways the whole point of Exodus was Sabbath. Let my people go, become God's rallying cry, that they may worship me. And the heart of liberty of being let go is worship. But at the heart of worship is rest. It's to stop from all the work. It's to stop from all the worry. It's to stop from all the scheming, the fleeing. To stand amazed and thankful before God and His work. There can be no real worship without rest. And i got to tell you, as he was giving it away to, to the Israelites, he was saying rest from the law. For us, it's rest from the facade of being perfect. How many of you recognize your own tendency in America to keep up with the Joneses and to appear just, as, just a little bit less broken than they are? I want to appear better, want to look better, want to appeal perfect. Jesus said, stop that. Accept my invitation to look foolish. Hey, I love your imperfections. I'm most on display in them. The opposite of a slave is not a free man. It's a worshiper. The one who is most free is the one who turns the work of his hands into sacrament and into offering. All he makes and all that he does are gifts from God, through God, and to God, Buchanan says. You'll know that you are too busy and not resting as God intended when you start to lose concern for people. Point two, Sabbath is a mindset that Jesus himself is our Sabbath. He freed us from bondage of sin, from bondage of self and self-worship. He, he freed us from law and performance. It's a rest from the heaviness of the law for the Jew, and it's a rest from the facade of perfection for us. I would say that it's a day, and I'm about to get to that in a moment, but see, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what day. If you're going to follow biblical practice, it's Saturday, but how many of you recognize Saturday is probably the least restful day of your week? It needs to be a day that you can assume as a discipline and one where you can actually rest in it. It is a mindset, a place of safety, a place of vulnerability, a place where he can nurture and strengthen you from within because you have formed a liturgy that allows all the voices and all the have-tos to be pushed aside to embrace what Jesus says alone, his voice, and you embrace the get-tos. It's an invitation And it's a mindset that says, out of this day, I'm going to order the rest of my week because I'm going to push off the have-tos and embrace the get-tos of life. Sabbath as a day. Sabbath was commanded. I want to throw that out. It wasn't just encouraged by God. It was commanded and has always been intended as an invitation for our own benefit as necessary to growth and abundance like the vine I mentioned. In Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy in the list of the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy, that same list says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Two different words, but intentionally there. Why? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Meditate on what you are taught and told in your time of rest weekly. Let, listen, let your entire week flow out of this one day. For the three days following your Sabbath... Let God so breathe into you the wonders that he has for you specifically because he knows you better than anyone else and loves you. Let that one day be the meditation that you have for the next three as you come back to what he said on that day when you are alone with him. And then observe it. 
be so driven by what God says and what God wants that you anticipate. Observe means to anticipate. You look with anticipation towards the day that you're going to get alone with God and rest with Him and in Him that He would speak wonders over you. I believe that it has to be planned and intentional because anything that's not planned will never be executed. I think that it requires liturgy. I think that you have to do whatever you have to do to rest. Some people I know, and I'm kind of like this, rest most when they're completing a list. But again, it's the get to, not the have to. If you have the oppressive feeling of I need to get this done, you're not resting. Some people are introverted, like me. Like there are points in my life, I'm, I'm an ambivert. I flip between both. But when I'm resting, trust me, the most restful place, listen to this, is on a porch with the driving rain, a book, the Word of God, a deep, rich, black cup of coffee, and a warm dessert. That's me. Maybe you're an extrovert and you find your rest by going to coffee with your girlfriend or your guy friend. Maybe that's what's rest for you. I don't know what's rest for you. Some of you rest for you. On this day, a part of your liturgy, like whatever you have to do to close out all the other voices, and that's turn on worship music and listen to that solely, and then open the Word and allow yourself to just see the truth of God, and, and, and you'll have a ton of distraction come to your mind. You've got to create a not-to-do list and push that aside. Maybe for you, your worship, this is not me, is lawn work. No. Not restful. Maybe that's you. You have a green thumb. You want to get in the yard and dig. That's great. That's a great Sabbath practice where you let God speak to you by His Word by preparing your heart through digging in the ground. But here's what you should do. It should be a 24-hour period where you push away and you get alone and you do what you need to do to rest and then you feast on the backside of it. See, in our world, every lunch is a feast. We've lost this art. But see, celebrating Sabbath with friends and family should end around the table. It should be a place where we come and we share what God has showed us, what God has told us in our personal and very intentional, protected time with Him. And we share that with the table and we let everyone else share around the table what He is saying to us individually and as a unit. We celebrate that we've heard from God. How many of you... Remember what it's like to celebrate when God spoke. This should be a weekly practice for His people where we find rest in Him. And we allow our entire week to flow out of it. Sabbath is an invitation into abundance. It is a place of intentionality designed by God for us His people to enter into worship of rest with Him and in Him alone. It's a lost art that should be violently fought for, practiced, and championed by His church. Listen, not forgotten. How many of you say this has been forgotten? It's not just a day off. It's intentional. Let us stop being victims of our schedule, creatures dictated by our ought-tos of culture and circumstance. Accept the invitation this morning to rest in Him. Your Sabbath may be Sunday. That's great. Accept it. Take time to come to the altar. Repent of exhausting yourself and being a person who collapses. In Sabbath, in a Sabbath keeper, you're going to promise to not collapse, to not not be exhausted, and to have one day fueled by Him because of a meeting place that your rest of your week flows out of because He has fueled you. Do it as family. Do it as friends. 
rest as each of you need to, and then come together and celebrate. Give vision back to your life by accepting the Lord's invitation for you to rest and allow Him to lead. This week, I want you to do this. I want you to pray about this morning how you're to unplug. I need you to go order the book, The Rest of God, and begin to read it. It's going to explain the heart of Sabbath in the Scripture. It's a great read. I need you to get alone in the Scriptures and be determined to set a liturgy for yourself. I want to see a church that is rich and deep and dependent upon our own Sabbath with the Lord and out of it our entire lives change so we stop being a frantic people looking for whatever we can to take the edge off and we be a people who rest in the light and offer hope to the rest of the world because we are not hurried. Bring God's voice to the forefront this week. Hey, listen, take a guilt-free nap. When was the last time you took a nap? When was the last time that nap was guilt-free? Because you get to, not because you have to. It's not you falling asleep in a board meeting. It's because you're more rested than that. And you're strengthened from within in Him. Plan to rest. Cut the lawn. Sit on your porch. Listen to the driving rain. Plan to, plan to rest and meditate out of the rest, the wonders God shares with you in that time. Share it with your closest friends and family and anticipate doing it again next week. Listen, don't do it to become better. That was never the prescription. Do it to live free enough to be foolish. Father, we love you and we thank you. In this, in this sacred time, we just ask that you would come and you would speak to us clearly and that we would be a people that would respond to you. If, we're, if we are a people here who do not know you, Jesus, and the, the freedom that is found by salvation in your name alone, then God, I pray that you would burden our heart. God, so pursue us right now that we cannot leave this room without coming to, to a leader to share that so we can know how we can actually follow you. If we are a, a believer who is not resting whatsoever in you, we're just a creature of habit dictated by the culture, God, let us repent of that and may we be a people who make a determined discipline and effort to find our time with you be the breath to the rest of our week, offering the world hope in Jesus' name.